You are listening to Normalized Crime, an in-depth look at gang life and all the effects that come along with it. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Normalized Crime. I'm Eric. What's going on, Berto here? And we're back with another episode. Berto, what do you got for us today? Um, So what I want to talk about today, man, is it's a little bit of a... Uh, it's a, it's a, it's a complex subject, right? But it's, it, the gist of it is that it's just basically how guys get out of prison and they immediately, they're right back into bullshit, you know? And nine times out of 10, that bullshit gets them right back in jail. You know, that's, that's usually how it goes. And, you know, some guys, they might have the discipline to kind of avoid it for a little while you know, and, and, and stay under the radar. <clears throat> but a lot of people, man, they end up right back in the mix. And I know because I was one of them. Right. So obviously it's easier for me to speak on. Um, <clears throat> I knew a lot of guys, man, throughout my career as a King. Right. And the, the sad reality is that there's not one person one king that I met that was out with me during my whole career. Now, part of that is because I got locked up myself, right? But that's that goes to show that the majority of the time, people are usually in and out, in and out, in and out, with the exception of, you know, a couple guys, you know. And But like I said, those are the exception, not the rule. Like my brother... And two, you know, those guys were lucky until towards the end when we were about to get indicted, then they started getting like, you know, in and out petty cases. But for the most part, during the bulk of our reign, um, they were, they were always out. <clears throat> you know, I think this is a, this is an important, it's an important topic, right? Because I feel like these, these times when guys get out, you know, they're inflection points, right? And, and they're always a good time to reevaluate your life. And so for guys that make bad decisions and, and they, they finally get out, they actually have a moment there to reflect, but most guys don't, you know, most guys, they just, you know, they're just knee deep as soon as they get out. So before I move on to anybody else, I always, I always lead with myself. Right. And, um, um, actually, before you go into that, I want to ask you a question just to kind of sure. kick this off. Um, sure. So I'm curious with your experience while you were in prison or whatever, is the mentality of most people that you were, you dealt with on a day-to-day basis, like, were they going to get out and turn their life around? Or could you tell that most people were just going to get out and go right back to their old life? Mm, that's a good question. <clears throat> so it varies, right? And it varies based on usually, usually based on how much time the guy's done, how much time the guy was facing, you know, where they're at in their life. Right. So the majority of guys, you know, their first bid is always going to be them thinking about getting out and getting back to their people, getting back to the street. You know, um, if a drug dealer was a drug dealer, he's thinking about getting that first ounce of dope or whatever it is to, to get back on his feet, you know, um, the only time that changes is usually when guys are facing a shit ton of time. And when that's the case, 
then they start evaluating, okay, I can't take another hit like this. Like, I know I'm going to get time now, right? I can only pray that it's not a, a too much time, but I know that when I get out, I can't come back because I'm just giving up too much of my life. That takes that, that breaking point we always talk about. Mm -hmm. um, but when it's state level and it's, it's, you know, guys are in and out of the county jail, maybe they're on probation violations, you know, they're doing some time in house correction. They're doing, you know, a shorter prison sentence, I'd say up to like, you know, seven to nine years, I'd say around that area. Um, guys can usually stand that hit, you know, and I say guys, cause I knew I could have right now when I first went in, I remember I was thinking in my head, listen, if they gave me 25 years, I'll sign it right now, you know? And obviously that offer wasn't on the table, you know, <laughs> but, but had it been, I would have signed it. I would have did the time and I'd probably be out in about three years from right now. And I would go back to the neighborhood because that's how much I love being a King. Now I wouldn't be active like I was, but I would have still had respect. I would have still had, you know, all my accolades, so to speak. And I would have just kept it moving. And, but naturally you get roped back in, right? Mentally you say, yeah, um, I'm going to stay away, but you get roped back in no matter what. So, um, to, to answer your question, that's kind of how it works. It's, it's more about how much time you're facing, how much you got in. Um, but if it's not a bunch, then you're damn straight. Guys are talking about getting out, getting back to it, getting a gun, you know, getting back on the grind. <clears throat> nobody's like, nobody's getting with the exception of guys that weren't cut out for the game anyway. Nobody is, 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 uh, is facing four or five years or three or four years and saying, I'm, I'm straight and narrow from here. You know, nobody's saying that, you know, at least not street guys. Uh, you know, it's, it's usually the guys that get them, them big chunks. If that so answers like, your question. Yeah. So like basically when you're, when you talk about like your experience, like when you were in Wales, everybody that pretty much you were around more, more than likely had the mentality of I'm getting out and I'm going right back to what I was doing. Whereas the ratio changes a little bit more when you when you got to actual prison and people had long long uh sentences then you started seeing people that were like well maybe that wasn't the best lifestyle for me right kind right 100% 100% so so wales is like you know it's a it's a precursor to prison right so it's basically just warming you up um mm. there's nobody in there that's turned away from their life of crime you know not not that i knew of guys would program there's a means to an end. You program to look good to get out. You know that's mm -hmm. it. Uh, there wasn't like people were really trying to better themselves and and get out and and go on. It was all about the presentation you were putting on. Um, mm -hmm. And then yeah, to 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 speak on the other end of the spectrum. Yes, a hundred percent. When you're in prison, especially in the prison where I was at, you got to remember in the prison where I was at, the majority of guys there at that time, with the exceptions of a few outliers. Everybody there was facing a shit ton of time, mm -hmm. which is which is why a lot of guys cooperated. You know, um, everybody there was looking to leave their whole life behind because I don't know. I guess you technically could do it, and I actually have a story about somebody who has did it, and it's kind of going to correlate into what we're talking about right now. Nobody is going to cooperate and give away their whole life, their whole career. Um, as a street, as a street guy, and then also um, jeopardize their own life and 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 um, and do all those things to cooperate 
and they get back out and go right back to the street. Most people don't do that, you know. Well, and and I would imagine that being that they're a cooperator, they kind of don't have that option of going back to the street because the street would probably just tear them to pieces, basically, right? Well, true, true. Um, if they get caught, but that's easier said than done. And when I mean by caught, I mean by you know the guys that are quote unquote looking for them, right? So Milwaukee is a is a is a microcosm of, of Chicago, but Milwaukee isn't as lethal as Chicago. And I think there's a bunch of reasons behind it. Obviously the sheer size of it, but, mm -hmm. but also a lot of the relationships are more personal, man. You know, they're, they're personal relationships. And, um, I'm not saying that nothing would, would happen. Right. And, and obviously I'm careful about my approach when it comes to Milwaukee and, you know, I don't come on here and try to bash everybody and make everybody my enemy. Right. If anything, this is more about building bridges, you know, obviously, but with that being said, I feel like the dynamic isn't as life or death as it is in Chicago. Now, you know, obviously that could change in the drop of a dime. People, you know, the murder rate in Milwaukee is still high. But I feel like a lot of guys, if they did, because there are some that have, who have cooperated on our indictment, and they're in Milwaukee right now, and they live there, and they move around, and they've seen guys, and guys haven't necessarily done anything to them. You know, now, are they putting it in their face? And are them, them guys that are cooperators going to, you know, king bars and stuff like that? Obviously not. Of course not. They'd be fools to do that. Mm -hmm. Um but so I think it's, it gives you a little bit of rigor room to show like, okay, I guess if you're smart and you're just about, you know, staying out of trouble and you do your best to avoid these guys, you're not going to house parties, you're not going to corner bars, you could probably make it, you know, you could probably make it. But to get out and go back to the street, you're going to end up running into somebody who you told on before, you know, right. you're going to end up running into somebody who knows somebody that you might've told on, you know, and, and, uh, but that doesn't stop people. Surprisingly, it does not stop people, man. I'll give you two examples right now. The guy Ugo, I've mentioned him before. Ugo ended up being a king, you know, predominantly because of boy. But Ugo was widely recognized as somebody who was always somebody who just sold drugs. <clears throat> he wasn't a gangbanger. He was just always a hustler, always making money. And, you know, Ugo cooperated numerous times. I mean, he cooperated on our indictment. He cooperated on a superseding indictment where they indicted three more Latin Kings. He cooperated. Um, he testified a, a few times at the grand jury, uh, but this guy was just naturally, all he knew was hustling. And <clears throat> when he got out from the, the federal case, he went back to the street and he got caught with some, with some dope and a gun <clears throat> and he cooperated again. Right. But this time he was in some, he was in some deep shit and they wanted a lot from him. And from my understanding, he had to give up somebody who was really close to him in order to, to get that up off of him. And he still ended up going back to jail. He's doing 18 months right now. But the reality is that he was back in the game again and again and again. Um, and, you know, I actually talked to him before he ended up getting sentenced and it sounded like he was done with that. You know, he was working, um, he was working with a private contractor, I think doing, uh, remodeling houses or something, but 
you know, how many times you got to get hit in the head before you realize it. Yeah, yeah. Totally. And so that was, that was one example, man, of a guy who, who just got, you know, got right back out. And, and, um, <clears throat> another guy is a guy named Mike. Right. And Mike was, how do I explain Mike? So Mike was one of the guys that I was talking about who came in and kind of, when he became a king, he never really took it seriously. You know, he was, he was never really, um, you know, for lack of a better term, he wasn't king material. You know, he, he, he liked to joke, but his jokes were like, I was talking about like the little kid jokes. And, you know, he was, he was more of a, he always wanted to play around, you know? And, um, so that's the thing about Mike, man. Like, you know, Mike wasn't, he, he was never really taken seriously. You know, even before he was a king, I remember, side, it's a side story, but I remember one time before he was a king, he ended up getting a one nine tattooed on his arms. Right. And, and it's, it's, it's not against the rules, but it's typically a no, no to get like ALKN tattooed on you or your chapter tattooed on you without actually being a king. Mm-hmm. And and the reason why is because you don't even know what it is. You don't even know what the purpose is behind that, you know, uh, because futures aren't privy to information that that kings are. And so I remember we were by Christmas house and Jay was like, uh, he was questioning him and he asked him, he's like, you know, he's like, you got, you got one nine on you. He's like, uh, he's like, why do you, why do you want to be, or why do you, or he's like, I know you say, why do you want to be? He's like, why do you have one nine on you? And, and, uh, you know, Mike's first answer was good. He was like, well, I want to be 19th street. And, uh, Jay goes, okay. He goes, well, why did you get, uh, ALKN on you? He didn't have an answer. His answer was, I don't know. <laughs> that was his answer. And then, and then, so, um, you know, Jay gave him a pass at first, like, okay, well, you know, like, well, well what do you mean? You don't know? Like, you know, like, why do you want to be a king then? You know, like, why do you have that on you? Why do you want to be a king? Like, you might not know what that means, but why do you want to be a king? And now Mike took it to, he's playing a game now. And he's playing a game with the wrong guy. This is our Inca. And so he's like, I don't know. I don't know. And it's the same dumb answer. And um, it, we should have kind of seen the writing on the wall from that. You know, we ended up bringing him in later on down the line, but we should have seen it right on the wall. Like he wasn't ready for that kind of, that seriousness, you know, like it wasn't, a, it wasn't a game to us, you know, um, this was what we loved. And so, uh, we ended up giving him a violation because Jay was not happy with his answer. <laughs> and, uh, and he wasn't even a King. It wasn't his violation to become a King. It was just a violation for basically, um, in so many ways, kind of disrespecting like everything we stand for, you know, but <clears throat> getting back to my point, he ended up, he ended up getting out. He cooperated, you know, he cooperated, um, early on in the process, he was one of the foundational witnesses for the government as far as, um, you know, the indictment went, he, he testified at a grand jury. This is before we all got indicted. Um, he cooperated, uh, against Benny and, um, you know, for, for one of Benny's homicides. And he was, he was with Benny during that homicide. And, uh, <clears throat> due to his cooperation, he ended up getting like one year, of house correction time and like a 12 year stayed sentence or something weird like that. Right. So this is for homicide. This is what he got. He got one year in house correction and 12 years. Um, so that they gave him a pretty good deal there. 
uh, and and uh, he actually ended up. Karma is 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 got a way of really smacking you right in the face. I'm gonna tell you that because, like, he did he did he was doing all these things right, and you got to remember, like, Mike never killed nobody. You know, he had like a couple shootings under his belt, nothing like crazy. Um, so he didn't have no astronomical charges. So for him to be giving up murders and all these other cases, it was kind of it was kind of overkill. And it was, it was, it was almost pathetic to be honest with you. And, and, uh, the way karma got him is, uh, what helped him and it got him. So, so it helped him cause he actually ended up being in a relationship with a, uh, Milwaukee County Sheriff <laughs> while he was in the County jail doing his little one year house correction time. And then, um, he actually got bailed out by her, you know, they end up having like some arguments and, Mike cut off his bracelet and that's why he ended up um, actually going to prison in the feds because he wouldn't even have got no time in the feds with, with the amount of cooperation that he, he gave up. Um, but if he would have just stayed on a straight and narrow, by the time he came to get sentenced, he would have never went to prison, mm -hmm. but some guys just can't help it. And so he was another guy. He was another guy. He got out and he went right back to Milwaukee. He, he, from my understanding though, he's not involved in crime, you know, which is, which is good. And, uh, I applaud that, you know, but you know, do you really want a fresh chance if you, if you got to like slither around Milwaukee, because there's not a lot of people that like them, you mm -hmm. know? And so I feel like that's, that's a hard, hard thing to, to overcome, man. But yeah, so those are two examples, man. You know, leaning into myself, right. When I did those, so I ended up doing two years total in Wales. We talked about this before. But the the my first stay there was is eighteen months long before I ended up getting approved to go to a group home. When I went to the group home, I mean, I'll never forget it. I got I got out on a Monday, and it was the Monday before Thanksgiving. That Wednesday, you know, I met with my uh, with my my probation officer, and she was decent. You know, she was decent for the most part. But I will say this. I had no idea that apparently these group homes, when you first get there, you have to usually wait for like two weeks before you even get a pass, right? They're called passes. And so I didn't know that. And it's Thanksgiving. And she comes and she's like, listen, you just did, you know, a little bit of time. You know, I understand it's the holidays. I'm going to give you a weekend pass and just be back here Sunday night. So I ended up actually getting from Wednesday all the way till Sunday, right? So I'm out literally my first pass, right? You know, we're hanging out. I'm I'm the first night, you know, kicking it. And the second night is like Thanksgiving. So I'm with my family. I'm seeing everybody. And then literally, like I think it was a third or fourth night I was out. <clears throat> I remember Toop came and picked me up with Ruben. Ruben was driving and I want to say there was like some futures in the back. Maybe Angel was back there, which is Toot's cousin. Um, and like a couple other stragglers, you know, so there was, we, we, there was a lot of us in the car. It was like five or six of us. And we drove past 19th street. Right. And when we're driving past 19th street, we seen, um, like some, like a group of guys, I'm gonna say like three or four guys walking out of open pantry. And, the first thing we thought is that's not right. You know, like obviously this is our neighborhood. We know what we're looking at. Right. And you, we, we always talk about it. You can tell when they're not your own. 
And so I knew right away, like, these dudes don't belong here. And so right away, I pointed my mind, look, you know, I'm fresh out, man. Like, literally, just I'm two days, three days out. And uh, Tuco's, oh, he's like, man, I got the nine. What you want to do? And now, you know, you put the ball on my court. What am I going to say? Yeah. What am I going to say? Keep driving, right? Yeah. So I, t- the, my first, my, you know, like now I have to, okay, the decision's on me. So I tell Ruben, I'm like, all right, well, go to 20th, take a right, let us out, right? So <clears throat> we go, and I remember it was the winter time. It was, there was already snow on the ground in, uh, I want to say it was November. Yeah. In November, it was already snow on the ground. So yeah, this is right after Thanksgiving. I want, I want to say it was even that Friday, man. I hadn't been, <laughs> I hadn't been out long, but anyways, so, so we get out right. And right before we get out, Toots got the nine and, um, Angel's like, I got this, I got this right here. And he pulls out like a, a little 22, right? It was like a little eight shot or six shot 22. I was like, oh, okay. Well, give it to me then. So I grab it, right? So uh, initially, I was just going to go with Toot. Toot was going to go, and we're going to we're gonna air these guys out, right? We're going to shoot at them. And so um, once once he gave me the gun, I'm like, all right, well, this just turned into something completely different, right? Now it's like, there's not, like everything you ever thought, you know, leading up to getting out, you know, if you weren't 100% committed to changing, like even the little thoughts about, okay, just stay under the radar for a while so you can stay free. Even those thoughts, they're gone when you get put in these situations because you're active. You're an active gang member. You're a known gang member and you're reputed and you've had, you know, a lot of run-ins like this and you've always responded the same way. So you can't change that now, you know, if that makes sense. You can't you can't switch up and do something different because now everybody's going to be like, damn, Berto got soft in the joint? Like what happened to him? You know, so... Um, this, this, these, these kind of things are just reactionary. I grabbed a gun. Okay. Bam. We go through a couple gangways from night, from 20th to 19th. And then when we're walking on 19th, we knew the direction they were coming. So they were coming out of open pantry. Open pantry is actually on 18th. Right. But when you drive past open pantry, um, going, going up Lincoln, um, you can actually see the alleyway behind open pantry. So you can tell which way a guy's heading. So when we seen them coming out of open pantry and which way they were heading, we knew they were heading towards 19th Street, which made us even more mad, right? Because that's directly our block, mm-hmm. even though 18th is secondly ours too. But you know, it's not like they were walking away from our neighborhood. They were leaning in. They're going towards it. And so we knew that we'd be able to head them off. And that was the plan. So me and two came out of the gangway. And sure enough, these dudes are like walking in the middle of the street. Like these guys got no worries in the world and now we can see them, right? We're probably still, we're still a little over a half a block away, right? And it's dark, but you know, there's a couple noticeable items on them, right? So I can see right away that, um, their hats are broke to the right. You know, I can see that right away. I can see they got hoodies on. And so now me and Tudor, like, you know, you got to remember, like we were wild, and we, you know, we didn't, you know, we never hesitated on the movements that we made when it came to rivals, but we weren't dumb. And I say that because the, every one of those three of them, every one of those guys could have had a gun and now we're outnumbered. Right. So, so now it's about being smart. Like we're going to do what we need to do to handle our business, but we're also going to protect ourselves. 
And so we devised an idea. We're like, okay, these guys are walking down the middle of the street. Let's split up. You know, so I walked across the street and Toots stayed on his other side, right? And literally, as soon as those guys see me cross the street, they turned around and they started walking back towards the other way. So they knew right away. They knew right away they were in the wrong neighborhood. This wasn't where they should have been. And by the time me and Toot, like, you know, because I started picking up my pace, I'm looking across the street, he's picking up his pace. By the time we got closer to him, they were already heading back in that alley that they had just came out of from OP. And I'll never forget it, man. I seen him, I seen him cross in front of me. I'm still about 40 feet away from him. And as soon as they're crossing on that sidewalk, I take off sprinting towards him and I start yelling, you know, King Love, you know, 19th Street. You know, I'm just I'm yelling every disrespect to every gang, right? And um, so when that happened, they kind of like try to take off a little bit. And Toots running full speed now. So they kind of like try to take off a little bit, right? But it's wintertime and there's snow on the ground and they're in an alley. So it's a little icy. So they kind of like, they're slipping. They're like, you know, I can imagine being in their shoes, right? It's almost like a, like a scary dream, you know, where like somebody's chasing you and you're like using the ground to try to push and run as fast as you can. But these guys are gaining on you. And that's, that's what it was. Literally what it was. Um, me and Toot were gaining on these guys. And because we're on sidewalk where there's salt, you know, and we got our footing and these guys are in the alley where it's slippery and it's, you know, uneven ground and, and everything. And so we finally, we get to a point and me and Toot like meet up and these guys are probably like, you know, 15 feet in front of us now. And they're, they're getting closer to open pantry. So over there, it's like more wide open, you know, there's more, more visibility. So me and Toot are like, yo, look right here, right here. This is it. And so we both pull out our guns and we start shooting at them. And, you know, like, you know, I, I can't, I can't say for sure. Oh, did I hit the guy or did Toot hit the guy? Um, but you know, if I'm guessing, you know, some, you know, somebody probably got hit, you know, probably not life threatening, but somebody probably got hit. And so, um, but the moral of that story, right. I mean, we take off, we go back, we get back in the car, we hop off, we're laughing like nothing ever happened. And, but the moral of that story is I'm two days out, you know, literally 72 hours before that moment right there, I was in a cage. You know, I was locked up and, uh, well, maybe not 72 hours cause I was technically in a group home, but you know, I was somewhere where I couldn't be with my people. You know, if you want to say a week before that, I was literally in a cage, then hundred percent that's true, mm-hmm. you know? Um, but, but it just goes to show, man, that fast you go from the mentality of, yeah, you're not backing out, but you might want to be like, okay, I'm gonna lay low, man. Like, let me just, let me stay out of jail for a while. And something like that happens, you know? And, and, um, you know, it doesn't help that, you know, my best friends were all the guys that were always involved in that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. you know? So obviously I'm not going to go start hanging out with guys that don't, you know, don't move like that, you know, cause we wouldn't, we wouldn't get along, you know? So, so that's kind of, that's kind of my example of my, my personal story. Was there a moment of hesitation? Like, did you like, you're sitting in the backseat of that car, seeing these people. And then two looks at you and says, well, what do you want to do? Were you like, well, shit, man, I just want to drive away because <laughs> I don't want to get involved in this. Or, or was it just instilled in you that, no, we're going to do something about this. Like, was there never a moment of hesitation because, you know, that's just kind of the way you were programmed at that point. Right. So, you know, honestly, I can say I probably had a little bit of hesitation in my mind 
But as soon as he asked me, I didn't contemplate it. I didn't, I didn't let him know that there was a thought in my mind. As soon as he asked me, I said, let's go, yeah. you know, and, and there's a purpose behind it, obviously. Right. Like you don't want to show any kind of hesitation, any kind of weakness, any kind of, you know, second guessing, freezing up, any of that, all those terms apply. And so as soon as he said, what do you want to do? I said, let's go. Um, yeah, you're right. I mean, in my head, I was probably like, damn, like it, it wasn't, it, it wasn't more so about the situation, right? Like it wasn't it, in my head, it wasn't more, it, this is a sad part, you know, looking back, but it wasn't about, it wasn't about the life or death situation. It was more about the, damn, I just got out, man. You yeah. know, like, the, you know, and that's a sad part, right? Because you're not even thinking about, you could technically take somebody's life right now or worst case scenario for you, they all have guns and they take your life, right? That, that, that part's not even a thought, you know, that's, that's how scary that is. But there's hesitation about not wanting to go back to jail, you know? Yeah, (laughs) which is funny. Yeah. It's very ironic. It is. And you're probably sitting there in your head thinking, man, I I really just wanted to spend these next three days smoking some weed and just chilling. I don't need to get involved in this shit right now. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. that's that's just that's just how it goes, man. It, it's it's so crazy how fast that happened. I mean, I mentioned the guy Dre before, right? And I feel for this guy because this dude has been in and out of prison his whole life, um, and he's doing good now. You know, he's he's working, he's 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 working a straight job. He's he's uh he's really turning his life around. But man, did he waste a lot of years? You know, man, did he waste a lot of times? Um, literally, I mean, the first time I met him. I want to say it was in the summer of 2002, maybe, or the summer of 2001, mm-hmm. maybe the summer of 2001. Yeah, it was the summer of 2001 because he came. We had a we were having a um, we were having a basketball game, one nine against two three, and he showed up. This dude comes with a huge personality, you know, like he's got this domineering kind of quality that he wants to impose on people. And um, I was never scared of it personally, but some people found it intimidating. I actually, you know, quick side story. My my haters might like this story, so I'll give it to them. I, I'll give it to them. <laughs> so, and maybe I mentioned this. I don't know. I don't, I don't think I mentioned it. Um, but one time we we're by Champ's house. It was that same house I was talking about where, you know, we used to always be upstairs. Platinum rented out the upstairs. And Champ rented out the downstairs over there yeah. on 26 and Forest Home. And so uh, it was just me. It was like me, Mondi. Mondi is, you know, Mondi's Champ's little brother. And mm-hmm. and this other guy named Junior, the guy that ended up getting beat up when we had the, the violations from the from the drug incident, the the, the fake acid incident. So it's that okay. Junior. Um, and then, and then um, Dre was there with Champ. Right. So I'm there with Mondi and Junior and then Champ is there or Dre is with Champ. Right. Because they're older. They're both older guys. They had been around for a while. Right. So and they're they're good friends. And I barely knew this guy, Dre, at this point. This is right after the first time I met him. I was talking about on that on that basketball court. And yeah. uh, you got to remember, like when guys get out, the first thing that they ask, usually if they're active, is what kind of brothers we got out here? You know, like, what does it look like? What's our count look like? Like, you know, what kind of dudes do we got? You know, and 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 guys that are really, you know, with that kind of lifestyle, they know, they know, first of all, they know who the guys are and they know what kind of response that 
whatever said brother is looking for, right? Because usually people that ask that are probably guys that that mean something. They're important. And it just so happened Dre ended up being the Kasinka at this time. And so there was a lot of things said about my brother and me and Chico and kind of the, the younger generation that was coming up. And, you know, the common theme that always passed by me and my brother and Chico and, and Toot when he, when he started hanging out with us and, and, um, and, uh, Mondi a little bit to some extent, you know, but, but mainly me and Tim and Toot is that we were really, really violent and we partied and we got girls and we kind of had like that kind of stigma going on and like people like that you know we were life at a party but we also knew how to move in the street and so when older guys hear that that kind it's kind of intriguing right because you know especially if they were ever anybody because they end up drawn to those people you know and an example is like like my guy snuff right so snuff when he got out he immediately knew who was you know with the street business and who wasn't. And he gravitated towards my brother and us immediately. And so you would think that somebody like Dre would, and and he did eventually, but here goes the, here goes the part that they're probably going to enjoy. So uh, we're sitting out there in the living room and Dre comes out there. And at first he's generally talking. He's like, I've been hearing a lot about you, you young brothers, you know, and, and, um, you know, there's going to be a lot of different things going on, you know, like basically trying to give his spiel that he's stepping in, he's putting his footprint on the nation, right? And he's putting his footprint on 19th street. He's, he's going to be the Kasinka and he's going to have his own ways that he sorts, uh, he sort of handles things. Yeah. So he was basically trying to just, he was generalizing a statement to all the guys that were there, which was just me, Mondi and Junior about how he planned on um, just basically it, to me, it seemed like he was trying to be a dick, you know, it seemed like he was trying to intimidate us and be like, you better be ready because it's not going to be a sweet ride no more. Mm -hmm. And it hadn't been a sweet ride because I don't know if you know, but I was catching violations like every other weekend, you know, for, or every weekend sometimes for dumb shit. Right. So in my head, I'm thinking it's, I don't know what sweet ride you've been on, but this isn't a sweet ride for me. But anyways, so when he said that, you know, we, we, we just kind of just, you know, we respected what he said. We just nodded our heads and he was like, he, then he looked straight at me and he's like, he's like, I hear a lot about you. Like, uh, like you, you, you really think something of yourself. He said something like to that effect, like you really think something of yourself. And I was like, why you say that? You know? And, um, he's like, well, you know, I heard you like to, you know, you, you a pretty boy. And I was like, I was like, man, you know, like, you're like, yeah, if that's what you want to call it, you know, but I get down in the street, you know, like that's, that's what your go-to is, right? Like, that's your answer. Like, yeah, whatever you want to say, but, but I still get down in the street. And, uh, he's like, oh, okay. He's like, yeah. He's like, I heard that about you. He's like, and I heard you like to wrestle too, because that was one big thing about us, right? Like we always wrestled with each other, man. And, um, you know, like that was huge. That was a huge thing. And, and I, you know, I was pretty good, man. Like I, I could handle my own. And uh, I go, yeah, I go, yeah, man, we wrestle a lot. And he goes, he goes, you'll wrestle me. This is how it starts, right? He goes, you'll wrestle me. Now at the time, right? Let's take it back. Let's throw some context to it, right? I'm maybe five foot, I don't know, six, you know, 
five foot five, 125, 30 pounds, maybe 130 pounds, let's just say. And, you know, my dad always taught me about, you know, wrestling and fighting. And, you know, he always, he always was able to, um, like, tell me how to use my foundation and my legs and stuff like that. So I kind of, I always used that when I was, when I was wrestling and it, and it helped me. Right. So, so yeah, so, so Dre is, Dre is about six one, two twenty five, you know, and obviously he's well-versed, like he's been in and out of prison. So this guy knows how to fight. He's been in and out of prison. He's been fighting, you know, he's been wrestling, whatever the case is. And so when he says this to me, would you wrestle me? There was never any hesitation in my mind. You know, I was just thinking in my head, like, damn, I'm going to have to try to scoop up one of this dude's legs and maybe, you know, like in my mind, I'm literally like playing this match out because that's what I would do with anybody, you know? And uh, so I was like, man, this is a big dude though. And um, I'm like, yeah, you know, I never hesitate. I'm like, yeah, I'll wrestle you, you know? And I think that snap answer irritated him, you know, like it, 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 it might even have been humbling. I don't know. But his immediate next question was, oh you'll fight me. And I go, I looked at him. Right. And there was no hesitation in my mind, but I kind of thought it was a trick question because you're not supposed to fight other Kings, you know, Mm -hmm. like, so in my mind, I'm like, is this dude tricking me? Is he testing me? Like, what's, you know, I'm kind of like, I'm dumbfounded about the whole situation. So my response to him, I just tell him, well, well, you know, Dre, like, I don't want to fight you brother, but, but I'm not scared of you if that's what you think. You know, and he goes, oh, okay. He goes, so you will fight me. And I go, I don't want to, but I will, you know, and literally Monty's to my left and Dre's to my right, you know? So when I'm talking, like I'm looking at him, right? I'm looking at him in his eye, you know? And like, that's how you converse with somebody. You show him respect. But when I'm done looking at him, or when I'm done, like after that, after he said what he said, right? Like I kind of look over to Mondi and, and Junior kind of like, like, do you, you know, almost like, are they in on this? Or like, what's going on? You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know what's going on. I'm really, I'm really uncertain as to what's going on. And literally, bro, the craziest, before I could even turn back to look at him again to see his next response, I just feel a slap across my face. Like I'm talking about like cold cock me. I ain't been slapped like that in a long time. Slapped the shit out of me, man. I'm talking about hard. And like, I immediately seen red, you know, like I only know one thing, you know, so but I'm not going to sit back and like, think about it. Like I know this dude just slapped me, you know, there's nothing to think about. <laughs> right. So, so I push forward. Right. And I'm trying to, and he's backing up immediately. You got to remember this dude's reach on me is like crazy. So when I say I push forward, I mean, I'm swinging at him. Like I'm swinging to try to get to him, you know? And like, I'm putting, you know, I'm, I'm trying to get it to where he can't just tag me. You know, I finally get up, I finally get up close to him enough and he just pushes me off of him. Right. Cause once I swung and swung and I couldn't hit him, I was going to rush him to try to see, all right, well, let me just see if I could do anything with this big muff, you know, like whatever. <laughs> and so, and, and so I try to grab him and he just pushes me, man, like hard, you know, like grown man push. Like I'll just call it for what it's grown man push. Right. And, and like, I felt myself not fall to the floor, but like stumble backwards. Right. And when I stumbled, like I thought I heard my footsteps stumbling, but it was champ coming out the room, running over there. 
And he grabs Dre up, puts him on the wall and just starts, you know, Champ used to be a Golden Gloves boxer, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, he starts working Dre's midsection. Boom, 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 boom. And Dre's like, all right, all right. Dre's like, all right, stop. All right, stop. All right, stop. He puts his hands up and, you know, Champ ain't nothing but, you know, the name is huge, but Champ as a man isn't nothing but five, seven, maybe five, five maybe five, eight, but he was a boxer, you know, he really, he, he knew how to fight, you know, and, but he was a little guy, but he still pushed up on him and was like, man, don't mess with my futures, man. What's wrong with you? Don't mess with my shorties, man. Like, these are my dudes, you know, like I, you know, I, 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 I stand behind these dudes kind of like, and, uh, I never, I never was so, um, happy and mad. And and one time, man, like I was, I was, I was, I was infuriated because I know my cheek was bright red from this dude slapping me. Right. And, uh, but at the same time, like to have somebody like champ, you know, stick up for me, kind of vouch for me and then also get some revenge for me. Cause he was putting some licks on him, you know? And, uh, I never forget the sound of Monty's laugh though after that man when he started laughing at me about that slap. But, you know, so so that's kind of you know, that's kind of that's kind of a side story about Dre, but but you know, the main gist of that story is about how he was constantly in and out and um that summer it wasn't long man before he went right back. Uh he didn't last to the fall. I'll put it like that. We actually we were coming from another basketball game. We were playing 23rd Street and um I know I told this story before the, the, there ended up being like a gunshot or something in the alley next to the, to, to the house we were at. We were in the backyard and the cops came over there and they started asking names. I was actually wanted to. And that was the time where me and Tim lied about our names. And he said he was me and I said I was him. And but Dre, he, he said his name was uh, Timothy King. And, and that didn't work. So <laughs> then I, I, you know, I, it's funny though, because he was that kind of personality. Like he, he literally, they're like, what's your name? He knew he was going down. So he was like, King, this is this how he said it. They were like, what's your name? He's like, King, Timothy King. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> like all dramatic, you know what I'm saying? And, and, and they end up, he ended up going down for that. And then I remember he got out. I told the story, you know, about, uh, on the permission to cooperate episode, you know, he wasn't out very long then. Got out. They went up north. He made some money, came down, went right back. So this is an ongoing theme, man. So the golden question to that story, though, is did uh, did um did he did he instill his authority over you by having this fight? Because like listening to that story, it just sounded like he wanted to know that he was he wanted to let you know he was the boss. Yeah, he wanted to. The- he, well, it, it's twofold, right? So he wanted to let everybody know that he was coming to make an impact, right? He was going to come and try to change things, but it was more about him testing my heart. You know, if I would have, if I would have, how you say it? If I would have, you know, like like uh, cowered away. If I would have cowered away, then. Obviously, I probably wouldn't have been a king anymore, but more importantly, he would have knew like I wasn't cut out, you know? And so sometimes those things are tests individually. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but, but, but to go back to your point after that, you know, he came and he shook my hand and he apologized and he was like, I just, I wanted to test you. I didn't mean to take it that far, but 
you know, I can see you're a good brother. You know, he's like, man, I respect you. So I got his respect in that case. It wasn't the other way around. You see what I'm saying? And yeah. so, um, and from then on, we actually had a decent relationship. Like I used to, I used to get on a train and go with his girl and go visit him when he was in, in racing correction. Like, you know, like I was that kind of dude, you know, I, I, if brothers were locked up, like I try to write him a letter. It wouldn't be like I was writing you every week, but I try to write, like I wrote Jay when he was locked up, you know, I wouldn't seen Dre. So like, I would try to do that. You know what I'm saying? And, um, yeah, so I gained his respect. Uh, you know, as far as like him showing who's the boss, he had the ability as the Kasinka to to dictate terms about how the chapter was being ran anyway. It, it, there wasn't really no, you know, yeah, sure, we could have got together and voted them out probably, you know what I'm saying? Like if that, you know, but the, the likelihood of that happening was was slim to none, you know? So Yeah. So, yeah, and then, and then uh, you know, Snuff was another one, man. I, mean, I mentioned him getting out and and finding the the you know the brothers that he could gravitate towards. You know, uh, it was immediately towards us, but you know, it wasn't long lived. We had a lot of good times together. You know, because every day we were together. You know, every day, nine months of every day is different than you know five years of once every other week. You, you know what I'm saying? Like, so like, I, I think about, I think about not just the relationships that you build, but also like the careers. Like I think about it, like, man, my life as a Latin King was only five years long, but it was every single day for five years long. Right. You know, like there's no off days, you know, you don't get vacation. And so, um, yeah, that's how them relationships, they end up being so strong. Uh, mm -hmm. and you end up, you end up weeding people out as well, because you know, when you're with somebody every single day, you basically, in a sense, you, you, you know, you almost live with them. Like from the minute you get up, somebody's at your house, you're there, you know, a lot of times guys sleep over and, and you just build these relationships. So yeah, he I mean, was only out for a total of, you know, nine, 10 months, but we ended up being really, really tight. And he was another one got, got out, got locked back up, got out, got locked back up, you know? Uh, it, it's like that old saying, they say, you know, people that never been to Wisconsin, they say, you come to Wisconsin on vacation, you leave on probation and you come back on revocation. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And that's true because guys will be on the same damn probation violation for 10 years. You know what I'm saying? They'll get out and, and be out for a while and they go right back because of probation violation. Yeah. So, so that, that, uh, <laughs> that thought is, is, uh, it ranged true, man, because I've seen so many guys, man, and it always sucks because it's always like, you know, like, like Snuff was our boy. So that's like, like Dre, when he went away, like, you know, yeah, it sucked because it's a member, right? But, you know, Dre had shit with him. You know, Dre had, had shit with him that not everybody, you know, not everybody agreed with. You know, he would do different things. I mentioned this before where, you know, he wanted to change up how Jay was basically holding his meetings when we would have the violation and a guy would be in the middle and in the middle of the circle and then three people would be on them, you know, Dre wanted to change it to where you're up against the wall and you got a mattress behind you, you know, thinking that that was, that was going to, that, that made it worse, you know, or he would have like the, there was one, um, there was one female around, you know, during Dre being out, it might, you know, he might've allowed more, but there was one and her name was Desiree. And he would allow her to come to the meeting. She was a queen, you know, but 
we didn't allow queens in our meetings, you know, because we had a hard time trusting our own brothers, you know, so it was hard for us, you know, at, at times, like, you know, when we got to a point where like we were starting to weed people out, like, right. Yeah. We had got to a point, man, where, you know, you start looking around a circle and you, 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 even though it's getting smaller in, in, in quantity, you're getting larger in quality. Right. And so when we started doing that and buttoning up, you know, when we were Xing guys and getting rid of guys, um, the last thing we needed was to have a female in the circle that we didn't even know that we could trust, you know, and it's not nothing against her personally. Like she was probably a good queen, you know, at some point in her career, her older sister was a queen Suki, you know, know, there's a bunch of Queens that were, you know, they were good sisters, I guess, but it's just, we didn't have that kind of relationship with Queens 19th street, not exclusively. Um, you know, we respected them. We shook up the crown with them. It wasn't like we disrespected the Queens or nothing like that. And, and that's even an episode that, that probably will come up at some point where we, we kind of focus on Queens because I think that's important, but I think we should definitely do that episode because I think I'm really interested in knowing, because I guess when you've mentioned Queens before, I always envision the Queens being like their own chapter, but you're saying that there was actually Queens within 19th street, more or less. Mm, Yeah. So, well, you know, so here's, here's the crazy part. So Desiree was actually pregnant at this time. Right. And, um, (laughs) that just, the, the thought of it in itself is, is crazy, you know? The ongoing joke, my brother always tells me, I, I laugh about it all the time. It gets me every time. Somehow it tickles me. But, you know, when everybody's getting strip searched to walk in, you know, he'd always, he'd always, he'd always grab her stomach, you know, because she's eight months pregnant and be like, what's this? <laughs> like, what's this? You know, because it's not like guys are walking in there with stomachs like that. You know what I'm saying? So it was just an ongoing joke that I always laugh about my brother telling me. But I wasn't there when she was coming to the meetings. I was locked up. So this is the information that I was getting fed while I was in Wales. You know, my brother was telling me like, man, you know, um, Dre's doing this or Dre's doing that. And uh, he didn't like it either. You know, he did some some foul shit to my brother before, too, you know, that I'll say for another day. Um, but he had a lot of he had a lot of uh, run ins like the one with me. Don't don't think it was it was it was only me. Trust me. He had a run in with two. He had a run in with Benny. He had a run in with Tim, you know. This is, this is, uh, it was common, you know, uh, with him. And so, um, uh, yeah, I mean, when he started allowing Des to come to the meetings, man, I think even a lot of the guys started looking around like, you know, like yeah, I'm not comfortable with here. this. Yeah, yeah. I'm not comfortable with this. And so, uh, yeah, man, I, I think, uh, people were probably happy that his, that what we're talking about trying to avoid people going in and out, they were probably happy that he was going in. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Uh, that, that, that's just being honest. That's, you know, like, you know, nothing personal to him. I didn't mind him as a person. Um, it, it's just, you know, when it came to the King, the King, uh, uh lifestyle, you know, it, it wasn't broke. Why are you trying to f- come in and, you know, not even fix it. You're trying to rearrange things. You know what yeah, I'm saying? Like it was it. just, yeah, it was just too much, man. And, and, um, you know, like I said, I don't come out here to try to bash brothers or ex-brothers or anything like that individually. Um, I just expose the facts and however people feel about them, you know, you come to your own conclusions. Like I said, me personally, I didn't have a problem with him. Um, did I have a problem with a lot of the things that he did? Yeah, you could say that, but Mm. 
I wouldn't, I didn't mind being around. See, I think a lot of people, they don't like being around guys like that because they're intimidated. You know, it, it's almost like the, uh, I, mean, I think we had this, this conversation before about guys that walk into a party and you know, trouble's there. Right. Yeah. So, you know, we were those guys, we were the trouble. Right. But he was the kind of guy that walked into the place and they were like, Oh, you know, like, you know, like almost like the, the like, principal of the school. Yeah. Like, right, what yeah, is he so, going to come up with now? Like, what issue is he going to find here? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Like, did you? How did you address me? You know, like one of those yeah. kind of situations. You know what I'm saying? And so, um, yeah, man. But me, I, I wasn't intimidated, so it never bothered me. Like, I didn't mind him being around. And and once you get past that, he was actually kind of cool. You know, he was he was all right to hang out with. I never had, you know, like a and like I wouldn't have took time out of my own life to go visit him in prison if I thought he was a piece of shit guy. You know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? Um, he just had his own mindset on how he felt things needed to be. Um, so, I mean, but that's, I'm sure we, I'm sure we veered off a million times, right. From where we were actually going with this podcast, but, you but know, that happens. It, so it happens. That's it happens all the time. Podcast. Um, that's great. I do want to have, I do have one more question that I just want you to touch on a little bit. So we talked about a lot of the experiences of people getting out and winding right back up into the life right after getting out. But can you think of any instances? Cause I got to imagine at some point in time, there was somebody that went away for a short period of time and then came back and like it changed them. They just were, they were not into the street life anymore. Can you think yeah. of an example like that? Or did, did, did that just not happen? Yeah. hundred percent. No. Um, when I was wild Walker, uh, this was right around the time that, Mark passed away. Jesse was our enforcer. And I always liked Jesse, man. Like I always, I felt like he was like a real calm, you know, like uh, uh, a calm hand, you know, like he, even though he was the enforcer, he had a real calm demeanor. You know, he knew how to enforce the rules, but also to, to identify with the, with the guys he was around. And even me being really, really young. And so, yeah, man, I remember it's going to sound, it's going to sound like a backhanded compliment, but he was facing nine months. I remember he was going to go do nine months in the, in the house correction. You know, the, per, the, everybody was of the like mind that he was going to go into his time, get out and he was going to be right back with the brothers. And, and that just didn't happen, man. Um, he went in and he came out a different guy. And he, he started, he, he's still associated with some brothers, but little by little, he pushed himself away, pushed himself away. And now this dude is like super successful. He's a realtor. Um, you know, he changed his life and, uh, I applaud him for it hundred percent, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, it, that was the one time I, it stuck out right away. I could probably think of other examples, but that one stuck out because so, it was a short period of time and he was like a known guy and he got out and, 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 and never came back, so to speak. And so typically, typically how that's going to play out is, is that that person's just going to kind of, when it gets out, he might be around for a little bit, but then eventually he'll just disappear. He'll, you just right. will stop seeing him after right. a bit. And like, do right. you remember with him? Did he get like a, like a beat down or anything to get him out of the gang? Or was it more or less like, like he just kind of stopped coming around and he was just gone? Well, you got to remember, right? During that time, like around that whole time, um, that was when my transition was happening. 
Like it just so like I already had started transitioning to 19th Street before Mark died. Um, I would still come and be on Walker a little bit, but I was already starting to be around 19th Street more. So when all that transpired, like Mark died, um, Jesse got locked up, uh, you know, Weddle. This is why Walker Weddle was on bad terms because they said he was he was trying to he was basically sleeping with Mark's widow. You know, so there was like a bunch of infighting on Walker. And um, honestly, I think he just walked away unscathed because of all the, the anarchy around the situation. You know, do I think, of, yeah, do I, do I, do I think that he would have walked away under different circumstances? I'm not sure. Maybe the perfect storm happened and it was the right moment and he walked away, right? Um, is there, is there also a little bit what we always mention, which is favoritism? Maybe they didn't come after him because, you know, he was kind of like family to those guys. You know, mm-hmm. he knew a lot of them personally, he knew their, their families. He knew, um, you know, like moms and, and he was like intertwined. And so maybe he got a little bit of that preferential treatment, but I think it was more about the perfect storm that happened, bro. Like everything had just, it was really falling apart for Wild Walker at that time. And, and I think he just took the opportunity and, and said, you know what, like, I'm gonna make something of my life. And he did, you know, to his credit, he did. He, he, he never, uh, he never went back from my understanding. And, uh, like I said, man, success speaks for itself. He's a realtor. Um, and I give him all the credit in the world. That's a cool story. So, well, it's like, it's good to see that other, some people escape it, right? <laughs> yeah, no, it so. is. It is for sure, man. And, you know, I think as is like uh as we move forward and I can really reflect on the overwhelming majority of the guys that I knew I want to say a lot of people man are at a point in their lives where they're they're striving to be better men you know um they're striving to be better fathers better husbands better businessmen um you know and this is just it's not I'm not proactive and and talking to a bunch of guys anymore but you know you hear the street the streets talk you know hey you heard about such and such or you know you, you're mm-hmm. usually going to hear the extremes right you're going to hear either somebody dead or somebody's doing really well you know mm-hmm. i guess no news is good news too but but nine times out of ten you're, you're going to hear the extremes right so you know i've been hearing some good stories about guys man just about guys who yeah they might not be the most wealthiest people but they're surviving you know, they're putting food on the table for their family and they're not in prison. So that's always a win. That's what we're here for. We're trying to get people away from going and giving their life um, in any way, giving their life literally or giving it to prison. You know, I hope these examples show that. I hope these examples show, man, listen, you know, these these uh, lifestyles, you know, we'll, we'll bang this this hammer on the head a million times, you know, just so people can continue to hear it. Um, every single way possible, uh, that there are no easy ways out. There are no, um, you know, there are no gold Rolexes at the end of the, at the end of your tenure. (laughs) You know, these are, these are real tried and true. I'm sure people have, have, have more than likely, uh, came up with many different methods on how to be successful as a street guy or a gang member. And, and I guarantee you, they're not around to tell you about it, you know? So this is what we're doing, man. Yeah. And I think that it's really important to point out that the people that, that are, 
were in these situations and you know like you said they might they get out of it they might not go on to be wildly rich or anything like that but i i think it's an important thing to mention that like just getting out of this life and and having a regular life at some point in time is a win you know like like Berto, you have one, you know, like, yeah, yeah. You, your yeah. scenario is very good because I mean, we've talked about people on this podcast and there are a lot of people out there that, that they don't have that opportunity. Right. You know, right. and, or maybe they will eventually have that opportunity, but it might be years and years longer than even what you had to go through. So right. I think, have you, anybody, have you ever seen anybody like that? Like in your, in your upbringing? You know, like guys that were in and out of jail, maybe for drugs or petty things like that. You know, just anybody that's, as you know, is always in trouble. Like, oh, damn, there goes Steve again. Ain't no, nobody like that? No, not really. I mean, no, I, I've had a couple people that like have gone away for mm. for something at some point in time, but then they get out and usually they never offend again. Okay. That would So, be you know, so you saying... You saying all seventy eight people in your town ain't no, <laughs> I'm just I'm just saying. Man, you really hate my town, don't you? <laughs> no, it's it's actually peaceful. It's actually yeah, peaceful. It's, it it yeah, really I mean, is that small, man. <laughs> yeah, it's it, it's funny, but I I'm I'm living in the same kind of area, just you know, two thousand miles away. Yeah. So. so. All right. Well, you got anything else for this episode, or should we wrap her up? Yeah, I think we're good, man. I think we nailed some good points. Um, hopefully, hopefully we sent that we sent a, a clear message just about how I'm sure people know though. You know, uh, it, it's always helpful to to get examples, but uh, you know, I'm sure people know, man. It, it, by this point, you know, there's countless mothers who are getting phone calls from their kids from prison, and you know, because that's ultimately who you have when you go. It's your family. You know, it's your guys fall by the wayside, but your family's there to pick up the pieces. So that's the way it yeah. goes. Yeah. And, and so I've been reading a book by one of your friends and, mm-hmm. and it's really sad in, in that book when he talks about what his time in prison, he didn't have his family because he had pretty much cut ties with his family completely when he was a Latin King. So mm. not some people don't even have your family <laughs> to, to fall yeah. back on when they're in prison. They're just kind of stuck with nobody. So, right. No, so, thanks. Yeah. I mean, listen, so two things there. Thanks for spoiling that because I haven't gotten that far. No. One. <laughs> no, <I'm sorry. laughs> no, you're right. But, but also listen, you know, I'm just, you know, like I've always professed transparency. So even with my own situation, man, and this isn't a slight on my family, I love my family, but I didn't have my family there supporting me throughout my bid. You know, could I reach out to my family at certain times? Yeah. But I never asked for money. You know, um, you know, I never expected pictures and cards and all that things. And and I rarely got them, you know, every now and then I got them, you know, 15 years, I can probably count on two hands that I got it, you know, Mm -hmm. and and, but I still love my family, you know, and the reason why I never took it personal is because when I was out, I didn't prioritize my family. So when I'm in, it's not fair for me to make them prioritize me, you know, and, and I think, you know, that could, that could be what Jose went through mentally himself, 
You know, he's mm. like, listen, I gave my life to this lifestyle and my primary focus wasn't being in my family's lives. So now that I'm doing prison time for this lifestyle, it's not fair for me to turn around and say, oh, family, please be here for me now. You know, so. Yeah. I, I could add more to that, but I don't want to spoil anything else for you until you get. No, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so. Yeah, so, yeah, I got too many books I'm reading, man. So it's hard. I'm a little bit of here, a little bit of there, and then you know, school, and it's like it's it's you know. I'm I know seeing, that. Feeling, I'm, uh, so. Yeah, I'm seeing I'm seeing math problems with words mixed together, and then I'm trying to talk about you know not hurting people. Yeah. So, so, all right. Well, then we will wrap this episode up. As normal, if you enjoy this podcast, please leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Uh, jump over to patreon.com slash normalize crime and check out the Patreon. And as well, we also have normalize crime at Gmail. And if you have any questions, comments, or anything like that, you can reach out to us there. And we will be back next week with another episode. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Peace. Thanks for tuning in to Normalized Crime. Stay tuned for the next episode.